All right, we're now making our way through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3 of Philippians. For those of you who are visiting, we are in chapter 2, uh, sorry, chapter 3 of Philippians, chapter 3. And we will pick it up from verse 20 to 21. We have two verses to cover today, 20 and 21, and I'll explain them as we go along. 20 and 21, but as you turn there to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, I want to begin by saying this to you. Life, we live in a life that is mostly driven by trials and by tribulations and by sadness and by depression and hurts and afflictions and and letdowns and, and persecution that we all face as believers, of course, I'm speaking about. Then as believers, what excites us to live this life? What makes us live this life in such a world that it is driven by such things? What is the driving force for us Christians to say, I live my life this way because of dot, dot, dot? How do we live a life in a world of madness without going mad? In a world of temptation and yet stay holy? Well, as we've been making our way through the book of Philippians, we have seen in this little wonderful little epistle the one thing that drove the Apostle Paul and what he had on his mind continuously that was his fuel even in such circumstances was what? The gospel. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 verse 12 says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. The Apostle Paul was heavenward. He looked up. He was Christ-centered. In verse 18 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, What then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. It was about the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His desire was to be with Jesus. He was hard-pressed between staying with the brethren and being with Christ. And whilst he was preparing himself to go and be with the Lord Jesus Christ, his desire was to know him. To know him more. That was Paul's desire. And Paul's desire for the believers, if you recall, in this little endeavor that we took from chapter 3, verse 12 onwards, as Paul brings this to a close as a little mini-series that we did on a growing Christian, he wants to encourage the believers in the same way, to press forward, to look up, to continue to mature in their walk with God. Why? Well, let me read it to you. Chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in Heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Paul went on to explain to the believers to say, listen, as you're making your way to that celestial city, you need godly examples in your life as we looked at last time because there are many who will tempt you, many ungodly ones who were they they were the enemies of the cross of christ and whose end was destruction and their god was their belly and they loved the things of this world and what we see the apostle paul through this epistle as well is that he teaches us that there are many many false preachers teachers and converts within the congregation who are going to disrupt your walk with god and what we learn from here brothers and sisters that the christian life is not easy it's not simple there are going to be potholes and challenges and waterfalls and ditches and and issues even as we will see next time the two women who are actually complaining against one another and then Paul here is encouraging the believers to acknowledge that they are different from the people from verse 18 and 19. They are different from them. They are ruled by the prince of the power of the air, the God of this age. But we Christians are ruled by the God who is the God of all ages. They are under the bondage of the things of the flesh to satisfy their sinful desires. We are under the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ that He may satisfy our souls. They are under the wrath of God and live as if they will not give an account to God. We are under grace. We are under the grace of God and we will look for the rewards through that grace. Our lives in this world are freed to live for the Word of God and Christ Jesus. And Paul brings this to a climax. And in our text, here's what Paul wants to tell us. Here's what Paul wants to tell the Philippians. You are going to heaven. You're going to heaven. This is your eternal abode. And in that heaven... There is going to be Christ. And more than that, you're going to have a new body. What can encourage you this morning? I'm here to excite you, brothers and sisters in Christ who were born of God. I'm here this morning to excite you to live your life fully satisfied for the Lord Jesus Christ in whatever capacity and availability and capability that you have in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. So I titled our sermon today as part of the growing Christian little segments. I think it's the fifth sermon that I've done from chapter 3 verse 12 to now 20 and 21. The Christian hope. The Christian hope. And three things I want to point out to you. Number one, the position of our hope. That is the citizenship. Two, the person of our hope. That is Jesus Christ. And three, the possession of our hope. New body. So look with me in chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven. 
Paul has just been saying to the, to the believers here at Philippi, join in following me and other examples because there are many who are not good examples, as you recall, so that you can run the race even harder and faster. And now Paul starts to connect this together and says, for, because, here's the reason. The reason is that we're not from here. Our citizenship is not the same as theirs. They live for the things of the world. They love the things of the world. They enjoy the things of the world. And they live for the city of this world. But our citizenship is in heaven. And he expounds and he says to the brethren, Listen, you're running this race. You're aiming high. You may be under the Roman colony like them, but your citizenship is in heaven. If you recall, we looked at that in a bit more detail in chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul said, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our citizenship is not here, although we live here. Our position, brothers and sisters, is in heaven, not here. And Paul is continuing to encourage the believers and say, listen, you belong in heaven. We don't think about this enough. Your land is not here. Your king is not of this world. Your place is eternal. Your citizenship is on high. Your journey is to make your way to glory. Then live as pilgrims and strangers and sojourners until you go home. Because your home is a better country. Amen? Hebrew says, for those who passed before us, who went before us, he says, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, because of that, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he prepared a place for them. Did you understand that? God is not ashamed to be called their God and he prepared a place for them himself. There is something better for us, believers. This is not it. This building is not it, and the next building is not it. We have a better country, a better city. And we're not meant to be made comfortable in this land as if somehow this is our heavenly abode. We're meant to believe in Christ, live heavenly, wait for heavenly, talk heavenly. We need to be active Christians in a dying world. But we must be aware of Satan's devices. Because the Apostle Paul says, For there are many who walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And the enemies of the cross of Christ, the unconverted, they want to lead astray the converted. They desire for you to believe that this is your only country. This is your only city, something that you can touch and see and smell. They want you to believe that there is only one God, the God of this age. Why would you go to church? Why do you read your Bible so often? Don't you have a life? 
Don't you have friends outside of your congregation? You're young. You've got time. It's okay for you to go to nightclubs. Is that right? Let me tell you something. My firstborn child, he was 17 years old and turning 18. And someone, praise God, that do not come to this church, said to him, claiming to be a Christian, are you excited you're turning 18 where you can go to nightclubs and pick up? Are you serious right now? We're talking of a person who claims to be a Christian. What is wrong with this or that? What is love? God loved the world. Why can't we love the world? Uh, why should the unbeliever have all the nice clothes and all the nice homes? Didn't God give that to us? Why should the unbeliever have all the good music? Why can't I play that music? These are the temptations that we have. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you this is not your home. This is not it. Don't be attached to it and don't be attracted to it. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. Don't listen to the lies of the unbeliever. And do not fall into the passion of your own flesh. For we have a better country. And when we know that there is a better country, a better city waiting for us, our position, it drives us to love and to live more for Christ. We do not have a city here that is permanent. Our city is in the next. This is why Paul, he says to them, press on, run the race, because to Paul there was only one city that he was looking for. And it wasn't where he was living. And this is how we ought to believe and live, rather, with one city in mind. Cities come and go. They, they, they rise up and they fall and they build buildings. They change, they collapse, they destroy them. Smaller and taller. Now picture God's city. And picture you being a citizen of that city where you belong. Picture the places there where no man's built. But God is the builder and God is the keeper. Think of the joys and the pleasures and the citizenship that you have in this country and then compare them with heaven. Are oh, in that place. You think you have peace here on this earth. There will be peace forevermore. You think you've got joy in this city. There will be joy forevermore. You think that you've got love and satisfaction in this city. Oh, there will be greater and greater love and satisfaction in that city. It will be pure, pure privileges, greater riches. Why is this city better? Why should we, we, should we get excited? Because the apostle says so. First Peter says to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Not here in Melbourne, or Taylor's Hill, or Essendon, wherever you may live. Port Arlington. 
It is imperishable, incorruptible. It will not decay. It will never cease to exist because all things are made new. Our home, brothers and sisters, is eternal. It is secure. It is kept and reserved by God and God will give it to his children. We read here, our citizenship is in heaven. It is a done deal. There is no ifs. There is no buts. And after one billion years of joy and peace and rest, there will be another billion years. And after that one billion years of joy and peace and rest, there will be another billion years. Because why? God is the builder and the maker of that city. And what we learn here, brothers and sisters, that we do live in a sinful world with sinners, but we're meant to live as saints. The sinners that live amongst us, they're not meant to convert us. We're meant to lead them to conversion. We live in a darkened world, but we're meant to be light of this world And let me tell you, because Christ gave you the right to become the citizens of that city, guess what? Your citizenship will never be revoked. You will never be deported from that city. God has given it and God has kept it. And God's people say, Amen. If you're a child of God this morning, I I want to excite you. I want to really excite you. If you're born of God and you are joyful this morning, you're a citizen of God. Are you sad this morning? You're still a citizen of God. Are you troubled this morning? You're still a citizen of God. Are you sick? You're still a citizen of God. Have you sinned? You're still a citizen of God. Do you have memory loss? You're still a citizen of God. Do you have an illness that you wish it will be removed? You're still a citizen of God. Nothing can change your home address because the one who gave it to you does not change. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. You're making your way to the celestial city. Along the way, yes, we may trip, we stumble, we fall, we get weary. Satan tests us, the world entices us, the flesh annoys us. But never, never, ever will our eternal postcode be changed. God has caused us to be born again and he has moved us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. What blessed assurance is this? What a hope, what an inheritance, what love is this that we should be called the children of God. We look for endless love, endless bliss and endless city with endless benefits 
Now, I believe this is the crux of encouragement with one another, knowing that our position is in heaven. Now, sometimes the things of this world and the trials of this world and the temptations of this world are too strong that we put wax in our ears and we look at the temporal and we think that we have got heaven here on earth. Well, I want to encourage you on some words that Jesus said, even those of you at the back. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but do what? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ promises that you will have heavenly rewards in all that you do in this life on top of going to heaven. Brothers and sisters, our feet walk on this earth, but they are walking towards Christ. Our eyes see earthly things, but the eyes of our hearts see the heavenly. We must continue to delight in what is to come and be like mad men and run in the streets and say, Life! Life, eternal life. Well, that's our first point, but I'm here to tell you there's even more. There's even more excitement that the Apostle Paul will bring before us. Look at our next point, the person of our hope. Look at verse 20. I know we're still in verse 20. Stay with me. We will move to verse 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which... Also, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is like a skilled musician who's building up at the, like a crescendo fashion this music that goes soft and builds it up to bring forth Jesus Christ to us. Oh, what beautiful thing this is. We as believers, what are we waiting for? What is our focus? We are excited of the new world to come, the new heavens, the new earth. But it says here, from, out of that heaven, we are expecting Jesus to come. This is the, the way than better. This is the best of the best. There is one thing where we're excited about the miracle of the fact that God has caused us to be born again. And we will have heaven as our home, but to add Jesus Christ tops the cake. To add Jesus to heaven, that's what makes heaven. And this text, brothers and sisters, tells us that we are expecting Jesus, that Jesus will come back again. Believers are expecting to expect Jesus Christ. This is the hope that we have. We're expecting for this Jesus to come back. In his first coming, Jesus came as a humble servant. 
He came in the flesh, the, the, the creator, the altogether lover. He humbled himself, the king of glory. He thirsted, he hungered, he showed compassion. He came amongst peasants and he was mistreated, mocked, flogged, beaten and nailed to a wooden cross for our sake. He humbled himself. But at the second coming, he comes like a glorious king. A glorious king. At his appointed time, he will consummate and bring his, his marriage together with a bride. And bring salvation to completion. His second coming is victorious. And, he, and we will see him as he is. And as we will see that the body and the soul will be made whole. It says we eagerly await. Eagerly. This word here speaks of something that is definite that believers have. But it speaks of waiting with gladness, with joy, with great expectation, with eagerness, with excitement, with full attention, with great confidence, desiring to see the one that they're waiting for. Think about of a child whose mom and dad have gone and he hasn't seen them for a while. He knows they're coming back. And he's eagerly waiting for them with great expectation for daddy to come home, for mommy to come home. And think of a bride whose bridegroom goes and prepares a place for her. And she waits at the door with eagerness, with joy in her heart and says, My husband is coming back today. Oh, he's coming back maybe tomorrow. I'm waiting for him. This is the eagerness that we're supposed to have, brothers and sisters, because that Jesus is glorious. He is glorious. He is wonderful. How many people sit around and eagerly wait for the wrong, wrong things? For the homes and, and for runners and for new cars and for computers. I know of a person who waited over 14 hours in line to get a mobile phone. And I just saw the news. If you think that's bad, there are people who are camping out to get tickets for a musician. 30 hours only to go up at the front and say, I'm sorry, we ran out of tickets 14 hours ago. We wait and eagerly wait for the wrong things. No. What are we supposed to wait for? The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.23 that we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons and the redemption of our body. That's what we're supposed to eagerly wait for, not for new runners and new computers and, and new things and loves of this world. We're supposed to eagerly wait for Christ. But I'm here to tell you, if you recall last time, those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, who love the things of this world and worship the things of this world, they do not eagerly wait for Christ because they don't belong to Christ. In fact, those people who love the things of this world, they will wish that Jesus would never come back. 
Because when Jesus comes back, when we read in Revelation, this is what they will say. They will say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Are you foolish people who have not surrendered to God? (laughs) Who are not eagerly awaiting for Jesus Christ and you think you have time. God can stop your time right now. And He can kill you today and He has the right to do so. So stop looking at the things of the world and look to Christ. For He's still that Savior that can save your soul. We wait for the redemption of our body. We wait for Christ. And what makes believers, even believers, fall in this trap? I'll tell you, it's very simple. Worldliness. Worldliness. What can entice you? Satan has nothing new under his sleeves. There's nothing new. He wants you to believe that God is ripping you off. He's not being fair with you. You deserve more. Poor you. That's what he wants you to believe. But as the scripture tells us, those who wait for the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, purify themselves. As he is pure in 1 John 3 3. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to excite you. I'm here to excite you to live. Let us rejoice, the scripture says, and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Are you ready? Make yourself ready, brothers and sisters. This ought to give us that that joy, that drive to, to move more forward towards Christ, being consistent in prayer, in fellowship, in reading. Why? Hebrews says, yet for a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay Revelation 22.12 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. The marriage of the Lamb and His bride will finally be consummated, and there will be joy forevermore. On that day, our earthen vessels will be done away with. The imperfect will put on perfection. The assurance will become reality. And the redeemed sinners will sin no more. And that King who is present with us in our heart will forever be present in our midst. Look at verse 20 again, brothers and sisters. Our citizenship's in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior. We're waiting for the Deliverer who rescued us and rescues us. We're waiting for the Lord that is Yahweh, our Master. 
We're waiting for Jesus, the God who saves. This speaks of the incarnation of Christ. Christ died and he paid the price for us. And we're waiting for Christ, the anointed one, the greater prophet, the greater priest, the greater king. This Christ is the one who fulfilled all that the Lord God, his Father, put forth. We are waiting for who? The one Savior who will save us completely. We will worship him totally as Lord with no interruption. We will acknowledge him forever as the God who saves. And we will cast down our crowns at his feet as Christ, the anointed, eternal, priestly king. This is whom we are waiting for. This is where we ought to be excited to live our lives. Can anything else be more encouraging than this? Apostle Paul, there is no... There is no wonder what the Apostle Paul could say for me to live is Christ to die is gain. This is his thoughts. We are waiting for a king who comes out of this king, kingdom and brings with him his city. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus. We ought to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. We, we shouldn't say in our hearts, I haven't done this or that yet. So can you just hang on, Jesus, before you come back? I need to build my shed, my garage, my home. And then you come, Jesus. No, brothers and sisters. We ought to say, come now. Right now. Come, Lord Jesus. But I want to warn you again that this is only applicable for those who are born again. For those of you who are not born again, Jesus is not your Savior. He's not your Lord. He is your judge and he will crush you like he will crush the enemies underfoot unless you repent and believe in him alone. No works, no membership, no baptism, none of these things will ever save you. Growing up in a Christian home will not save you. Your father and your mother will not save you. Your husband will not save you. Your wife will not save you. Only Christ. When you say, Lord, take my life and take it now. But just when we think we've arrived in our human perspective, it gets better for us. And we come to the third point, which we look at verse 21, the possession of our hope. We looked at the position, the person, now we're looking at the possession of our hope. Look at verse 21. Who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Body exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Brothers and sisters, please meditate on this truth. What will we possess? A new body. The first thing I want you to notice here is that that has to be that our body is not that crash hot. It's not that good. 
No, my, no matter how much I, I try to exercise and then hurt my neck and I'm dizzy for about three weeks, no matter how much I walk, how much, how, I mean, listen, I'm not telling you not to do this. By all means, do this and let, you know, don't go to the extreme and become a glutton. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that according to the scriptures, no matter how much I think my body's okay, it's not. It says that he will change a humble state. And what that means is that my body is in subject to weakness, to sin, to, to weaknesses, to sin, to, to temptations, diseases, pain, suffering, hunger, thirst, and death. Our bodies is not excelling. We're not on the way up, we're on the way down. And the older you get, the more it becomes real. We need a transformation. Here it says he will transform. That means it's a complete change. Complete, it's not a makeover. It's not just touch it up a little bit, a little putty here and there, a new dress. We will be changed in every way, shape or form. How much? Into conformity with the body of his glory. Conformity means morphed, converted into the same. He will call our bodies, whether from the grave or from the rapture, to be changed, not into something else or not into, no, 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 into the same body as Christ. I don't, I don't know what that is yet because I haven't been there. But the Apostle John says in John, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He, that is Christ, appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. Why must we be changed? Because we're going to be in perfect union with Christ. In a perfect place, our bodies will not withstand the awesomeness and the purity and the holiness and the wonders of God. So we must be changed. Think of the children of Israel. When they were whining and complaining, does it sound like someone that we know, perhaps somewhere else in another church? And they wanted to see Yahweh. All right? Yahweh appeared. What happened? They fell. They couldn't handle His awesomeness. When Isaiah saw the Lord, how did he see himself? As a man with unclean lips. And Moses sees God in a burning bush. Take your sandals off. You're on holy ground then how much more do we need to be changed who will be forever in the presence of a holy and perfect God in a perfect place? If we are not changed, our tongues will melt in our mouth in His presence. If our eyes are not changed, they will be blinded by the awesomeness and brightness of God's glory. If our ears are not changed, we will not be able to handle the sound of worship in the presence of God and His holy angels. If our bodies are not changed, we will not be able to stand. 
We need our bodies to be changed so we can stand before Him. We need our eyes to be changed so that we can behold Him. And we need our tongues to be changed so we can sing to Him with purity and our ears to be changed so that we can hear His awesome and powerful and beautiful and wonderful voice. And that's what God promises to do to us. Here on earth, we needed a heart transplant only so that we can become the children of God. But when Christ delivers us into His presence, everything must change. 1 Corinthians 15, 42-43 says, So is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. And raised in glory, sown in weakness, and raised in power. Christ saved us from sin and death and hell. But he saved us so that he can morph us to his body. His glorious body. Just as we are born the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of of the heavenly. To be conformed to Jesus means we'll become holy, perfect and pure, able to worship Jesus, no hindrances, totally satisfied with Him, without spot or wrinkle. You will not become divine. Okay? So don't listen to um, Tom Cruise who believes that one day you'll become divine. That's not what this says. It means that you are able to be completely satisfied in Him alone. And it says, how will this take place? Verse 21, look at it. Body exertion. That means energy. Of the power, that means ability that He has even to subject all things to Himself. The ESV reads, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Think about this. If God the Father has given everything in subjection to Christ, and Christ, everything is subjection to him, whether angels or creation and demons and stars and the moon and, and people, then, it, then Christ has the right over death. And what Paul is saying here, by the same power, the same power that he creates, and he, everything is subjection to him. By that same power, Christ has the right over our dead corpses to make them new. I'm into that. I'm into, I can't keep this corpse alive for much longer until God takes it. So praise God. By that power, God will take our broken body, he will take him either from the grave in a fashion, like he says to Lazarus, come forth, come to life. He will do likewise to our dead bodies because he is the resurrection and he is alive. Christ will overrule all the laws of nature as we know it and bring us into his kingdom. On that day, brothers and sisters, your bodies will be made new. Your sinful nature will be no more. 
Your eternal abode will be eternal and Christ will be yours forevermore. So, we see in our position of the Christian hope, the person of that hope, and the possession, which is Christ and a new body. Let me give you just a little application, just to examine where you are. What is your position with Jesus, with God this morning? Are you heavenward? Can you say my position is heaven? Can you say I belong to heaven? And on what basis would you say you go into heaven? As I shared with someone yesterday, this very thing. He says, I'm going to heaven because my father is there. I said, your father doesn't own the kingdom. Jesus does. On what basis will you say you get in? I, I say I go in because I believe I'm going in. I said, it's not up to you. It's up to God. On what basis do you say this morning you're going to heaven? Who is Jesus Christ to you this morning? Because these very people know that Jesus died and rose from the grave. And yet they're still hell bound. Is Jesus your saviour? Has Christ forgiven your sins? Has he wiped your slate clean? Are you a new creation in Christ? Can you say with confidence that I am new? Because I know Christ changed me. I love him. I adore him. And I can't wait to see him. Can you say that? That he is my treasure. And I take no other pleasure but in him. Is Christ your priest? Because my priest is Christ and he continuously intercedes for me daily, every day, every second of the day. If you're anything like me, he must intercede for me. Is he your Lord? Don't fall under this weird notion that Jesus just has to be your Savior. Because unless Christ is your Lord, He's not your Savior. And when He is your Lord, He is your Savior. Is He your King? I'm just amazed at how many times we go through this from the pulpit and teaching and wonder, is He a Christian and He's not a Christian? I remind you when Jesus says that a good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. I don't have to elaborate on that. I think it's pretty straightforward. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in a fire. So then you will know them by their fruit. It's not rocket science. Fruit bearing reveals the root caring. Our fruit reveal the root. But if the love of the world and all that is in it entices you and that's all you want to chase after, you want to go to Taylor Swift concert or I was going to say Michael Jackson but he's dead, that will be kind of strange. And if you want to chase after the things of this world and chase after cars 
and you want to go to nightclubs and you want to enjoy sin, then let me tell you something. The love of the Father is not in you. And you're headed for destruction. Paul says here, that by the Spirit of God, those who eagerly wait for a person, Jesus Christ, because that Jesus will one day usher in his kingdom. Where is your relationship with Christ this morning? I want to leave you with just an encouragement from 1 Corinthians. So turn there, 1 Corinthians, and then we'll close in prayer. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. From verse 50. I just want to read these few verses. And I'll leave the application by the Spirit of God to move you, to encourage you to live your life for Christ. Verse 50 from chapter 15, 1 Corinthians says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we we'll all be changed in a moment in a twinkle of an eye twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise imperishable and will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality but when the perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for these few minutes we spent with you. I pray that your word went out with power and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will excite your people to be reminded of our position of the person that we await for and the change that will take place. Oh, what a day that will be, Lord, when all things will be made new, even these weak and feeble bodies. But I pray, Father, for the unconverted. Oh, Lord God, when they block their ears, that by your power, Father God, you will bend their knees now to you before it's too late. We ask, Father, that you do this for the glorious name of your, your Son, Jesus Christ.